This is WJFF Jeffersonville and W233AH Monticello. And good evening to you. Welcome to Let's Talk Vets. This program is produced by Vets for Vets, and I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg, USAF 1968-1972. Our mission is simple, to provide news, entertainment, and information of particular interest to area veterans, active service members, and, of course, their families. Tonight, in our limited time, we're going to tackle a big problem in the Hudson Valley, and that is homelessness. Now, there are many reasons why folks find themselves homeless. It could be lack of employment, substance abuse, physical infirmity, etc. And unfortunately, our veterans have additional challenges. A diverse group of veterans calls New York State home the fifth largest veteran population in the country. Where do they live? Where did they serve? How are they doing? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that. The aggregated data compiled from a recent released information from the Department of Veterans Affairs, U.S. Census Bureau, and other sources, paints a clearer picture of New York State's veterans. New York State is home to 838,000 veterans. Women make up 7% of all former service members, but are expected to reach 10% by 2025. Slightly more than half of the veterans in New York State are over the age 65. The Department of Veterans Affairs, the VA, spent $6.3 billion on expenditures throughout the state in 2016, 46% of which was spent on medical care. Nearly half of the veterans in New York State prefer to receive their care from outside the VA. To find out more about this topic, we spoke to some folks who are fighting on the front lines of this battle to help area vets find a suitable place to call home. Our old friend John Crotty, director of the Sullivan County Veterans Service Agency in Monticello, and from the VA Hudson Valley Healthcare System, Paul Stoltz, manager of homeless programs, and David Marshall, HUD-VASH coordinator. But first, here are some Dates of note for the month of May. May is National Military Appreciation Month, Appreciation Month rather, a month to recognize and show Appreciation for the Armed Forces of the United States of America. May 1st is Loyalty Day. This day is set aside for American citizens to reaffirm their loyalty to the United States and recognize the heritage of American freedom. May 2nd, National Day of Prayer, and uh, it is an annual observance held the first Thursday of May, inviting people of all faiths to pray for our nation. Missed one May 1st is Silver Star Service Banner Day. This day set aside to honor our wounded, ill, and dying military personnel by participating in uh, flying a Silver Star banner. 
May 8th is VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, celebrated May 7th in Commonwealth countries, a day which marks the anniversary of the Allies' victory in Europe in World War II. May 12th, of course, is Mother's Day. May 13th is the Children of Fallen Patriots Day, a day to honor the families of our fallen heroes left behind, especially their children. It's a reminder to the community that we have an obligation to support the families of fallen patriots. May 18th is Armed Forces Day, a day set aside to pay tribute to the men and women who serve the United States Armed Forces. And May 27th is Memorial Day, also known occasionally as Decoration Day, a day set aside to commemorate all who have died in military service for the United States, typically recognized by parades and visiting memorials and uh, cemeteries. Well, we're glad you could join us tonight. You know, for vets, their families, and friends... The Veterans Service Agencies of New York are often the first stop in a quest for help. And John Crotty is the director of the Sullivan County Veterans Service Agency in Monticello, just down the road from here. And John and his staff see a lot of vets, and some are homeless. And usually the Veterans Service Agency can be a first stop in that quest for help. Thank you for having me. The reason I wanted to talk to you is that you guys, in the course of your work, see a lot of veterans with a lot of different problems, and I have to believe that this is uh, probably one of the first stops that somebody would make if they needed help and wanted to come forward and ask for help, or somebody might refer a vet to if they were in a situation of being homeless. Well, we we do uh, rely on referrals. Uh, that. The word of mouth is uh, one of our strongest ways of getting the word out, and we're gratified that a lot of uh, people in the community uh, think of us first when there's a veteran-related issue. And uh, homeless, as often as not, is actually reported to us by someone else first. So what, what happens when somebody comes in and says, hey, you know, there's a guy down here, I think his name is Charlie, he's, uh, he's a veteran, and I think he's homeless. What would happen? Well, uh, that person who reported may go talk to Charlie and ask him to come in, or if we know where he is, one of us will go out and see him and see if we can't bring him into the office and sit down with him, get his uh, discharge document, find out what his needs are. Uh, does he really want help? Does he want help fast? If that's the case, we'll take him up to DFS in Liberty. They have the capacity to make something happen right away. They'll get him shelter, get him food, stabilize his situation. In the meantime, we'll do whatever we can to get him uh, into the VA medical system, and they have a very robust homeless program, 
But like all big programs, there's a certain amount of inertia, a certain amount of time that the VA needs to address someone's issues. So DFS, Family Services, they can step right in immediately and make something happen until the VA is able to do what they do. So the first order of business is to get them stabilized and and provide them with a base of operations, if you will. Yes, yes. So if they wish to have us, we can be the contact point, you know, between uh, themselves and the VA because uh, frequently um, the homeless don't have a phone. So how bad is the, in your estimation, over the time that you've been in Sullivan County, how bad is the homeless situation? Is it getting worse or better or you can't really tell. Well, um, the homeless don't check in, and uh, they're usually missed uh, by everyone because uh, they're just not on the radar. There appears to be two types of homeless. Uh, the ones that are thrust into homelessness really don't want to be there, uh, don't know who to talk to, but they'll accept help if they're connected to it. There's another portion of the homeless community uh, that are getting by, and it may not be a, a satisfactory lifestyle they have, but in their minds, the ordeal of dealing with bureaucracy, of dealing with regimentation and having to appear at certain places at certain dates, it's appalling to them. And while they may not be living well, they will accept that compared to the in their the alternative, which in their mind is unacceptable of regimentation and uh, living to someone else's tune. Um, we're here to help any way we can. We're certainly not going to dismiss someone. Uh, all of us know someone who's living in a shack on someone else's property with no water, no electricity. That's not comfortable to me, but for some of these folks, as rough as that is, it's better than the alternative of surrendering their independence to being in a regimented environment, even though it may be a healthier, better environment. We can't force them, and we're not going to sales talk them. They, they've got to make these decisions on their own. How much of an effect does, um, but just transitioning out of the service with, with no marketable skills? Well, the, this is a big one, and especially in Sullivan County, which in spite of the numbers of low uh, unemployment at this point in time, it can be quite difficult for someone uh, re-entering the workforce here in Sullivan County. And if they do not have marketable skills or they went into the military at a young age, learn military skills but don't really see how they can transition them into the civilian market, um, they hit the ground with a splat. And hopefully we can connect them with any one of a number of things that the, that they could engage, such as the educational programs. If you served your full tour and you got a good discharge from the VA, you've got the GI Bill. They'll pay you tuition, give you a stipend, almost a wage, you might say, 
just to go to college. Now, what a fantastic way to get your feet back under you, get a feel for the community, get some marketable skills, and a little bit of breathing time so you can make the transition. For other veterans, uh, the VA has programs uh, to help veterans reintegrate. Uh, We're here to help them if they have service-connected issues. And if they do have service-connected issues that the VA grants them, then that would enable them to engage in voc rehab, vocational rehabilitation. So they could learn a new skill, a new marketable person that they could then go out into the civilian world and prosper. So there's a lot of things that could be done if the veteran's willing to, because nobody's going to force anything on anyone. And a lot of veterans are reluctant to ask for help, and then there's some people that don't consider themselves (laughs) veterans for various reasons, maybe because they didn't serve at combat, but the fact is you're a veteran if you served, what, how many days in, in active duty? Well, in my eyes, you're a vet if you served one day. You put the uniform on, you took the oath. Now, over the years, the benefits have been attached to different requirements, uh, periods of time, type of discharge, uh, era of service. Theater of operations. And um, I think that's unfortunate, but that's what we're dealt with. Nowadays, uh, anyone who's served from 90 up is considered a wartime era vet. So some of the uh, restrictions on peacetime vets, we're not engaging them much because most of our newer vets are served since 1990. Uh, You know, it's, it's really, it's in the head of the vet. How far does he want to pursue what's out there? There's a lot of stuff from the VA. There's a lot of stuff through the family services if you're in that category that meets their criteria of income and necessity. And uh, it, it really comes down to whether or not the vet is going to say, I'm not letting my pride get in the way. This is not satisfactory. What can I do to improve things? And if the vet's willing to commit himself to follow the path towards improvement, improving his circumstances, improving his income, well, we're here. There's a lot of other people out there in the VA and in family services that will help this person. Yeah, I just did a, an interview with um, a follow-up interview with ATI, mm-hmm. and they another have a great group. They have another uh, a new guy down there. That's the uh, veterans peer advocate, and he runs the service dog program. Yes, yeah, and uh, they're they're very effective. They've been plugging away. They don't always get the publicity that they should, but they've been running a series of programs that seem to be very very effective. Well, I guess the the underlying message is that uh, if a vet understands a couple of things, number one, you're by the system you're determined to be a vet. For many different reasons, and uh, if you have a DD-214, you don't necessarily have to have an honorable discharge, and and there's programs that you can upgrade your discharge if you disagree with the conditions. 
And I guess the only thing that would disqualify you is a dishonorable discharge. Well, that that the dishonorable is uh, a closed door to all benefits. Uh, as far as getting upgrades going, it's a very difficult thing. The government doesn't have all these types of discharges for nothing. They attach a particular discharge to a per- person deliberately. So they're not going to make it easy to upgrade. We do do a few. We're not always successful. But the burden is on the veteran to show how the discharge they received was not appropriate. Um, I forgot to mention one group, uh, BATS, BATS out in Liberty. They're a transitional housing group. Uh, we'll have a vet come in. Um, they, they're couch surfing. They just can't get their feet under them. Uh, we'll bring them up to DFS. DFS can do an analysis, can start the ball rolling, maybe put them over, up overnight for a day or two, get them some food. And then if it's appropriate, they'll transition them into bats. And they have a program where they're trying real hard to give a veteran a certain amount of stability and uh, take some of the worries off their shoulders so they can better focus on improving their circumstances. Well, I guess that's the overall message. Um, There's a lot of people that really want to help and it's not so much that you need a handout, it's a hand up to help you get started. Well, that's that's what it's all about. Uh, uh, none of these veterans' benefits in any way are considered charity. Um, if you're asking for help, you're not asking for charity. You're simply asking for help. And there's a lot of people out there who want to provide it. They want to see People in general, vets in particular, they want to see them move forwards, find some comfort and tranquility in their lives and some prosperity. And it's up to the veteran just to ask. I know. And one of the great things that impressed me about your agency here, John, is that you're not steeped in the process to where you can only refer people one way in other words you can you can only refer them to the VA there's a whole group of services in this area that can help if you ask for it and you have I know you have an extensive Rolodex (laughs) and over the years you've been here you've uh, amassed uh, a tremendous knowledge internal knowledge of who to call to help with a given situation and you don't hesitate to do that Well, everyone who's engaged in this type of work uh, is looking for that warm handoff. They can't be everything to everyone. So we are always looking to make relationships with others where we know that we can make a phone call, tell them that we're bringing a veteran over or a veteran's going to appear. Uh, We've already talked with them, and here's what he needs. And we can feel comfortable that when this veteran walks in the door, he's going to meet someone who's prepared to help him and take him to the next step. And all of us are all working towards this warm handoff environment where instead of just shuttling people from one impersonal entity to another, we're handing them off to another helper and another helper and another helper. 
and and that's the big the big thing is we're handing them off to someone who's going to help and the end game is being their success and and you guys do you may not stay connected with that person formally talking to them but through the grapevine you often get a sense of how they're doing, right? Oh, sure. You know, there is a certain amount of feedback without violating confidentiality. If if uh, one of the people referred to, um, if they see that the veteran's having a hard time or is really struggling over one or more issues, uh, you know, we'll just give that fellow a phone call and say, hey, how you doing? You know. Well, it's agencies like this and uh, other agencies working together in um, Sullivan County and other places that uh, are overlooked from time to time. And I thank you for sharing this time with us and our listeners. And we just want people to be aware of the great work that you guys do and and helping out those who have earned it. Well, thank you, Doug. It's uh, a a real opportunity, and I, I really thank you for for getting this out about vets to vets um you know word of mouth this is word of mouth it works best well we're all vets and how thank you thank you and that's our friend john crotty director of the veteran service agency in monticello and they take their mission very seriously uh they're just not going to slam dunk you to the next um Uh, agency without regard just to get you from their in-basket to their out-basket. These guys are serious, and we're serious about the show we call Let's Talk Bets on WJFF Radio, and I am your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. And that somewhat ominous music means it's time for the news, which is, at times, somewhat ominous. (laughs) The American Veterans Traveling Tribute Wall. This is an update. As you already probably know, the AVTT wall is coming to Sullivan County in September. This 360-foot replica of the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C., will be available for viewing at the Rock Park in Rock Hill, September 11th, beginning at 2 p.m., and will remain open 24 hours a day until the 15th at 2 p.m. This is made possible by the Sullivan County Veterans Coalition and is hosted by the Rock Hill Volunteer Fire Department. Volunteers will be on hand to locate friends, loved ones, and relatives' names on the wall, and supplies will be available to capture rubbing of those names. Recently, we learned there are a few individuals pretending to be authorized representatives going door-to-door collecting money. The coalition is not collecting cash donations. The only way to donate is a tax-deductible check in any amount made payable to SCVC Wall Fund, mailed to SCVC Wall Fund, P.O. Box 1527, Monticello, New York, 12701. If you have questions or comments, they may be directed to Howie Goldsmith. His email is goldsmithhow at yahoo.com, or you can call him at 845-791-1030. Rocky Ortega can be emailed at rqortega at yahoo.com, or you can call him at 845-665-3171. Joseph Levy, 
uh, one combat vet 2004 at yahoo.com or 612-408-8639 or Gary Hill 845-292-0741. Well, there seems to be no end in sight for the military presence along our southern border. Soldiers uh, placing strands of concertina wire along the border fence in March of 2019 near Campo, California. And Defense Department officials don't know when or if the military's deployment at the southern border will end. In testimony before the House Appropriations Committee on, on uh, recently, Acting uh, Defense Secretary Patrick Shanahan said he is pressing Department of Homeland Security officials for more information on their personnel shortfalls with an eye toward determining when the military missions at the border might end. Quote, we're driving buses, we're serving food, we're doing medical support and logistics support, unquote, Shanahan said of the military's presence. Quote, for now, we haven't uh, degraded any readiness capabilities, but we really need to get back to our primary mission, unquote. Shanahan approved a plan recently to send 320 more active duty troops to the U.S. border with Mexico in response to another support request from Customs and Border Protection. Currently, about 3,200 active duty service troops are deployed in those missions, which began last October. In addition, several thousand more National Guard troops have been working in similar support roles since April of 2018. On Wednesday, White House officials announced plans to send a $4.5 billion emergency supplemental budget request to Congress for humanitarian needs that includes building more processing centers and buying more food for immigrants arriving at the southern border. Of that total, about $377 million will cover the cost of military deployments. And it's important to note that none of that money will be used for wall construction So said a senior White House official. Congressional Democrats have accused President Trump of militarizing the immigration debate by unnecessarily deploying active duty troops to the southern states. Troops there have been conducting various support roles like barrier replacements, but have not have had only limited contacts with the migrants seeking entry into the U.S. Current authorities for the military mission runs through September but Shanahan told lawmakers that Homeland Security's personal shortfalls, personnel shortfalls, could total thousands of people casting doubt on when military could be replaced by civilian staff. Quote, we're now in a position to ask how long will we be there, Shanahan said. We've gone through, looked at conditions at the border, and we need to get into a sustained environment. When asked whether troops were still critical to the mission, Shanahan said, He was following, quote, a lawful order from the commander-in-chief and that, quote, we need to secure the border. A key tool in the U.S. Navy's fight against Russian and Chinese submarines weighs eight pounds. It's about three feet long, doesn't even explode. The sauna buoy is an expendable waterborne sensor that has been airdropped by the hundreds to detect enemy subs a go-to capability for America and its allies for decades. The Pentagon wants to buy 204,000 sauna buoys in its fiscal 2020 budget request, a 50% spending increase over 2018. But just as the U.S. 
military needs them most, this critical capability is under threat, and it's got nothing to do with an enemy nation. Without government investment in the market, the Pentagon says, may no longer have a reliable supplier. That's according to officials who spoke to Defense News. Like so many other systems, the Pentagon's arsenal, uh, America has just one proven supplier. In this case, it's a joint venture between the United States and the U.K. called Arapsco. The Pentagon says Arapsco will dissolve by 2024 and that neither side of the partnership, Spartan Corporation of Schaumburg, Illinois, and Ultra Electronics of Middlesex in the U.K. will be able to make the necessary investments to produce the capability in- independently. It's an acknowledged weakness in the industrial base required the Pentagon find solution, said Eric Chuning, a top Pentagon official who was until January head of the Pentagon's Industrial Policy Office. As a result, the U.S. President Donald Trump in March signed a memo invoking the Defense Production Act to declare domestic production for five types of AN-SSQ sonoboys essential to national defense and a grant from the Pentagon authorities to sustain and expand capability. The Air Force, in anticipation, issued a market research solicitation to find suppliers beyond Arapsco. TRICARE. If you've got TRICARE, listen up. Retired Master Sergeant Robin Gift um, had surgery that the disabled Master Sergeant needed to correct a debilitating back disease and reimbursed his cost. Then the Defense Department Health Care Insurance Program said they made a mistake and sent him a bill for, well, I don't know, $46,000. The retired Master Sergeant Robin Gift, 56, now has been fighting with TRICARE on this for roughly seven years, and he's almost out of moves and money. TRICARE at one point agreed to cut his debt in half to 22978 his attorney Stephen Jewell said, but he would have to declare the forgiven debt as income and pay taxes on it. Gift now lives in Seminole, Florida, on his disability payments from his time in the Air Force with a roommate to make ends meet. If TRICARE forces him to repay this debt, Jewell said it will make his already dire financial situation even worse. Defense Health Agency spokesman Kevin Dwyer said the agency could not comment specifically on Gift's case. Quote, TRICARE is committed to providing safe, quality, accessible, patient-centered care for those in our charge and their families, Dwyer said in an email on Tuesday. Though we do not discuss specifics regarding a particular case, TRICARE continually reviews claims to ensure they have been properly paid. TRICARE works with patients to secure payment. Gift medically retired in 2006 after serving more than 22 years in passenger service operations for aircraft, hauling cargo and baggage, as well as cooking and serving food and working as a flight attendant. He pulled a back muscle during physical training one day and sought treatment, and in 2002 was diagnosed with a pre-degenerative disc disease in his back, Jewell said. In 2003, he was diagnosed with full-blown degenerative disc disease, and the military found he had become injured as a result of his job. It was kind of a wear and tear type of thing, Jewell said, of Giff's injury. He's 100% disabled and pretty much can't work. He's really in rough shape. Bottom line is Giff is almost out of moves. He doesn't think that he'll be able to 
solve this anytime soon. He's exhausted appellate options, and he doesn't have any more money to further pursue the lawsuit. He's hoping someone in Congress will listen and steps to relieve him of his financial burden that he has to pay. Jewell said he does not know what will happen to him. Washington President Donald Trump has pardoned a U.S. soldier, former U.S. soldier, convicted in 2009 of killing an Iraqi prisoner, the White House announced last Monday. Trump signed an executive grant of clemency and full pardon for former Army First Lieutenant Michael Brahena of Oklahoma, Press Secretary Sarah Sanders said. Behenna was convicted of unpremeditated murder in a combat zone after killing a suspected al-Qaeda terrorist in Iraq. He was paroled in 2014, 2014 and has been scheduled to remain on parole in 2024. The military court had sentenced Brahenna to 25 years in prison. However, the Army's highest appellate court noted concern about how the trial court-martial had been handled and Brahenna's claim of self-defense. Sanders said, the Army Clemency and Parole Board has also reduced his sentence to 15 years and paroled him as soon as he was eligible. Brahenna's case attracted broad support from the military, Oklahoma elected officials, and the public. In light of these facts, Mr. Brahenna is entirely deserving of the pardon. Okay. I think we have time for one more short one. Frustrations mount over lack of progress in preventing veteran suicide. Just hours before Capitol Hill hearing in 429 on how to address the problem of veterans dying by suicide, a veteran took his own life outside Lewis Stokes Cleveland VA Medical Center. Lawmakers in that incident was a painful reminder of the effort to finding how to put suicide prevention in recent years into more effective process. Two weeks ago, three other veterans committed suicide outside VA facilities in five days. It's clear we're not doing enough to support the veterans in crisis. Both Democrats and Republicans in the House are pledging to try to fix that in the coming months, launching a series of hearings and legislative pushes to address this lingering problem of veteran suicide. And that's all the time we have for the news tonight. Homeless veterans tend to be older, more educated than homeless non-veterans. But similar to the general population of homeless adult males, about 45% of homeless veterans suffer from mental illness. With considerable overlap, slightly more than 70% suffer from alcohol or other forms of drug abuse problems. The uh, VA Hudson Valley Healthcare System incorporates two major hospital campuses, both Castle Point and Montrose, as well as many clinics. One of the issues they confront is homelessness, and, and it's a very complex issue where veterans are concerned. Robin Bill is executive, director, uh, executive assistant to the director, and she has arranged for us to speak to the next two gentlemen who are key players in the Hudson Valley's efforts to help every vet find a suitable place to call home. Paul Stoltz is manager of homeless programs, and David Marshall is the HUD-VASH coordinator. To the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, there were 40,056 homeless veterans living in the U.S. on a single night 
in January 2017, which is just a little bit more than 9% of the homeless adult population. Uh, 2,542 are attributed to New York State. Do you have any idea how many homeless vets reside in Sullivan County? Paul? Yes, at the last... uh 2018 point-in-time count, they identified three veterans in Sullivan County. Okay, could you tell us what is the point-in-time count? The point-in-time count is um, a count that's ordered by Housing Urban Development. In order to get funding, you have to do a point-in-time count. And usually what it's, when it's done is at the end of January. And they picked a, a particularly cold time of year so that most of people who are homeless would tend to go to shelters, although not everyone. So basically, uh, they count the people in the shelters, and in some places they'll go out looking for people who might be homeless, and they ask them a series of questions. And one of the questions they ask them is, are you a veteran? Although we ask them to, to phrase the question, did you serve in the military? And that's how they basically get the count for for each of the areas that do the point-in-time count. Okay, when is the next point-in-time count results going to be published? Let's see, 2019 we just did. Probably it'll come out sometime in the summer or the fall. You know, it takes time for them to collect and put them all together. Okay. Do you, I mean, just a gut feeling, do you feel that it's getting better or getting worse? It's a hard question to answer. You know, I know it is. I think, because you can't predict how many homeless people there's going to be. Right. I mean, there's different factors. I know when I first started in 2007, before the economy got worse, it was almost like we were on the edge of a, a forest fire. We saw it coming in because we were getting a lot of calls from veterans who were homeless, losing their homes, being evicted. It's almost like we saw it coming. So obviously there was those were some bad years. We respond very quickly when we find a homeless veteran. So they don't stay homeless for long. Um, but again, you never know. You can't predict who's going to be homeless, when they're going to be homeless, how they're going to be homeless. Um, you know, the goal is really just to, when you hear of a homeless veteran, you want to respond as quickly as possible, get them out of that situation, and get them housed as quickly as possible. Okay. One of the major issues that's been mentioned um, in our conversation and also talking with um, Mr. Crotty from the Veteran Service Agency in Monticello is that a lot of vets are um, not quick to self-identify as homeless or, I guess for that matter, as veterans. So what is your approach to identifying these folks and reaching out to help someone who may not welcome that help? Well, not identifying as veterans, it, it depends on how you phrase the question. Again, that's why we, we asked them, did you serve in the military? So in that case, they'll they'll say, okay, yes, because uh, yes, sometimes veterans will sometimes veterans will think I didn't serve in combat, so I'm not a veteran. Sometimes women will not identify as, as veterans. Uh, but if you say, did you serve in the military? You're going to get a better response. Um, in that sense, once, but on the other hand, in some cases, veterans are very quick to identify as veterans because they want to see what services are available. Through the Hudson Valley, whoever encounters homeless homeless people, we really they re- we really have it working well. Where they know to ask that question: Did you serve in the military? What is the challenge survey? The challenge survey uh, has been in existence for a long time, 
and uh, let me see. I always I never remember exactly what it stands for. Community Homeless Assessment Local Education Networking Group. That's it. And basically what it is, it's a series of questions that go out to um, various agencies that work with homeless people, uh, veterans themselves, uh, veterans who were formerly homeless, and the VA staff. And it asks about services that are available in the community. And you rate how available is this service. So, for example, if you, the question was, um, is health care available for veterans in the community? You know, we have the clinics, we have the two campuses. That will be rated as a high, yes, that's available. Um, is child support services available, you know, informing veterans of their rights and child support. You know, that's one that would score low because we don't have a lot of, we don't have that service available. So what they do is they collect those numbers and they crunch them together and then they go to Congress and they say, here is a need that the community identified where we could use funding. And there's actually that, there's a program for, um, Dental services for veterans or homeless and in, in our programs. That's how that program came about. And the HUD Vash program, which we'll talk about later, came about because of this survey. So the survey is very important because it identifies what the needs are in the community. And this survey is distributed to whom again, please? It will come to me, and then I'll distribute it to people that work in the Department of Social Services. Um, veteran service agencies, uh, nonprofit agencies that do homeless outreach. I'll send it to veterans I know who were homeless previously. We'll have veterans in our programs who are homeless now fill it out. Um, the VA staff will complete it. So we, we really get it out as, to as many people as we can so that they complete it and we'll know we get a, we, you know, we have a good idea of what's going on in Hudson Valley, but you never know. They, people could identify something that I never thought about. Is that predicated solely on, yeah, we've got eight clinics, or is there anything that indicates, given the rural nature of, of a lot of this area, yeah, it's there, but we can't get to it? Yeah, that's, that's the Sullivan issue, because, you know, if you divide Sullivan into four quadrants, it's, it's very rural, and, you know, there's, like, the one main road to get to the services that you need. So if you're in the middle of somewhere and you can't get to a service, that's that's an issue. So in, in Sullivan County, we rely a lot on veterans helping each other out. We rely a lot on um, houses of worship, neighbors, community. The community really pulls together and says, here we have someone that needs help. What's the best way to help them out? Okay, but it is it is a network that's been in place for a while, and everybody kind of knows who to call and and uh, who should uh, be aware of what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I get calls from um, you know John Crotty and Howie Goldsmith, the Veteran Service Agency staff, uh, all the time. Okay, David uh, Marshall. Uh, recently, I read an article in the Washington Post, and I forwarded this article over to you guys. Don't know how true this is. I just want to get your feedback on it. They suggested that lack of access to legal services is a contributor to veterans' homelessness. Specifically, they referenced a case in point where a, 
a vet had lost his home, and he had made arrangement with a landlord to pay a reduced amount for an apartment in exchange for advance payment. But the property was sold, and there was no documentation as to the contract between the vet and the landlord, and uh, he was evicted. What about legal help? So I know in the Hudson Valley, in our catchment area, we help vets connect with and utilize legal services of the Hudson Valley, um, which has a veterans unit that can provide pro bono civil legal services, and they can help with such things as eviction prevention, access to benefits if somebody's experiencing a barrier, say, connecting to Social Security, or even upgrading a military discharge so that perhaps a veteran that wasn't previously eligible for VA care could become eligible if they get their discharge upgrade. Legal services has been very helpful when a veteran gets an eviction notice and a landlord takes them to court. Um, We can help them get connected with a lawyer there to do an intake to see how the case could best be handled from a legal end. So these are all private law firms that uh, work pro bono, huh? Yeah, I mean, Legal Service of the Hudson Valley is an organization, and there are financial requirements, but you know, most of the veterans we deal with in our program meet the eligibility because they're under those income thresholds. Okay. Paul, I'm going to come back to you for a moment because uh, I want to start to review some of the programs that's listed on your excellent website. Healthcare for Homeless Veterans Program. That is the, uh, the front lines program. That's the basic mission of that program is to identify homeless veterans in the community and get them hooked up with services as quickly as possible. So that program is the one where they, you know, the community will call and say, here we have a homeless veteran, how can we help? We have a contract with Jan Peak House and Peak Skill to house 10 veterans on an emergency basis uh, if we can get them there. So basically, we identify veterans, tie them into services, and then look for more homeless veterans. What are some of the components, the physical components of that program? I noticed uh, shelters, et cetera, and counseling and linkage to the VA. Yeah. Our, our first, the first thing we do is we do an assessment of the veteran, what's their situation, and then, then we determine what's the best way to help. So, for example, if a veteran says, I have no place to go, we can refer them over to Jam Peak House. If you get a veteran in Sullivan, they may not be able to get the peak skill. So you, you have to kind of problem solve there and say, okay, is there, isn't there anybody you can stay with for a short period of time so we can get to the next step? You work with the, the Department of Social Services that they, you know, they can put them in a local shelter for a brief time and then we'll coordinate services to move them from there. Some veterans need alcohol and uh, substance abuse treatment, so we start moving in that direction. Others might others might need they're they're not really looking to go to a shelter or they just want a job. So you know we would we try to say to them look go easier if you were in a shelter and you could go from there, but they want to focus on getting a job. Sign that's fine. That will help them find employment. We have a community employment coordinator that can do that. Um, if they need medical care, we obviously get them to a hospital. If they need mental health care, again, we get them someplace where they can get the treatment that they need. This Jan Peak House, is that, uh, how big a facility is that and how occupied is it? I, I'm contracted for 10 beds. They probably have room for about 30 people. Does that ever present you with a, a problem, uh, more than 10 beds? or Sometimes. Yeah. It, in, during the winter months, I will never turn down a veteran. If I have to go over contract, I go over contract. 
you know, and if it, even during the summer, if a veteran's really jammed up, has no place to go, and then I'll go over a contract. If there are other alternatives, I'll try to explore that. If I'm at 10, I'll, I'll look at other alternatives. But again, in the winter months, uh, no question. I've had 15 there at once sometimes, so... But so then we go over contract. I don't think Joe Taxpayer is going to care if we go over contract in a situation like this. Not me. Okay. No. Uh, David, uh, this question's for you. We want to speak to domiciliary care for homeless veterans. Yes, yeah, so our homeless dom is located on the Montrose campus, and it's a 60-bed residential setting. It provides rehabilitation services to homeless veterans, and it helps address the conditions that contribute to the homelessness, such as substance abuse, mental health issues, unemployment, just some of the veterans that are isolated and not connected to resources. This program helps provide the structure to address those, you know, by developing an individual treatment plan for each veteran to help meet those goals, and then with the ultimate goal of finding and attaining permanent housing. The benefit of being on site is that they can also be connected to our medical and dental services here. It's a big campus, but everything, you know, you can walk to all the buildings to get it and also be connected to support services for recovery from substance abuse, AA, and the local community we connect veterans to. And there's a range of treatment providers of various specialties that they'll have access to while being in the domiciliary. Okay. Dave, uh, what about vocational rehabilitation therapy? Okay, so one of the things about being in the DOM is some, el some veterans are eligible to participate in compensated work therapy, so it allows vets to develop work readiness skills while also earning a stipend to secure housing in the community. Basic computer training can also be provided, but vocational counselors can be here to assist with assessing job readiness. We actually have uh, one worker as a community employment coordinator that works specifically with the homeless population to help veterans develop realistic plans for returning to the workforce. His role is unique in that he also works in the community to identify employers that are vet-friendly, that maybe have an understanding of some of the things our veterans are going through. Um, he makes those partnerships in the community so that um, when he identifies a vet that is ready for employment, he can kind of be the person in the middle to start to facilitate that relationship. In the context of that, are you tied in any way with New York State program? Uh, a while back I interviewed the director at NYSID, which is New York State Industries for the Disabled. Entities that belong to New York State must put out X amount of their hiring to NYSID. Uh, do you have any kind of an agreement like that? Or you probably have a, a, a loose amalgamation with some area businesses that try to help? Yeah, that would be the case. And also having connections with veteran reps that... Um, the Department of Labor in each county as well that might have their own specific connections to businesses that are trying to promote that. Okay, so the reception to veterans uh, in this context is working pretty well, I guess, huh? Yes, it seems to be. Okay, um, Dave, this one's for you as well. I want to talk about the supportive housing program. So the supportive housing program is specific to Westchester County. This is where we have affordable apartments in the county, and the leases are actually held by um, two agencies in the community, so not specifically held by the veteran. Um, and it also comes with a case manager that coordinates the program, and she helps assist the veter veteran in getting into that housing unit 
one of the advantages is that the housing units are already identified in the community. So for a veteran that might be dealing with a host of issues and having trouble identifying affordable housing, these units are, you know, in a way already picked out. But the case manager also follows up with home visits to make sure the veteran uh, is working toward the treatment goals of maintaining housing, possibly getting employment, or just staying connected to the services that are keeping the veteran stable, such as outpatient mental health, substance abuse, medical. Um, And it's an ongoing partnership between the case manager and the veteran. Okay. How about the HUD-VASH program? What is that, and how does that figure in? So the HUD-VASH, it's a partnership between Department of Housing and Urban Development and the VA. So HUD provides Section 8 vouchers where veterans can, they're called housing choice vouchers, veterans can rent apartments in the community where a landlord accepts Section 8. The veteran would pay approximately 30% of his monthly income, and HUD would pay the rest. Um, Where the VA comes in, we provide case management services. Um, We have a team of licensed social workers that assist the veteran from the start getting connected with Section 8, getting the voucher, helping identify an apartment, um, negotiating with landlords, all the way through the move-in process, coordinating agencies to assist with security deposit and furniture. Once a veteran moves in, we continue to follow them, doing case management visits in the home to make sure things are going well, connecting veterans to services if they're needed, and, again, working on whatever treatment goals the veteran has so we can do it in a veteran-centered approach. And the case management could last from a year to a few years, depending on the progress of the veteran. Once they've attained their goals and are stable and to the point where they don't need a case manager, they can graduate from case management but still retain the Section 8 voucher if they're financially eligible to. Okay, Dave, when we were talking, kicking this around, getting ready to set this interview up, uh, one of the problems that was mentioned was that sometimes there's a lack of housing inventory, primarily due to landlords who are reluctant to accept Section 8 uh, vouchers. Yeah, that, that can be an ongoing problem, It's especially in um, the lower Hudson Valley here, lower Westchester area. We have issues finding available housing, and when we do, sometimes veteran, uh, landlords aren't open to renting the Section 8. You know, there is a stigma attached to it, unfortunately, and some landlords don't really want to, you know, hear about what our program entails. But for the ones that do, when we explain what we're doing for veterans, you know, we can have some success in creating a partnership. But definitely would be an area to try to improve and being able to enhance partnerships with landlords, educate about the program, you know, what the VA's role is and how we can be successful. Okay, if you'd be so kind to kind of wrap this up, can you take us through a straw man example of a situation that you can remember? Obviously, you can't use a name, but where somebody came to you or you discovered somebody that was homeless, a veteran, and you were able to get them the help they need and then stabilized so that they can begin pursuing a a better way of life? Sure. You know, a lot of times we'll get um, contacted by one of our community partners, um, agencies such as Westcop or a VSO in a county or even a vet-to-vet program will let us know that they have a homeless veteran that's either, you know, bouncing around the streets or not really having a stable place to stay. And the first thing we'll do is reach out to engage that person. Um, If they're already registered with the VA, 
that you know is a big help. But if not, we can determine their eligibility and get them registered if they're eligible. At that point, you know, a lot of times um, we can try to engage the veteran and get them to the Jan Peak shelter that Paul was talking about earlier. The advantage of that, if there is an opening at that time and the veteran gets connected to it, they're going to be close to the VA. It's only a few miles away so that they can get here to start addressing whatever concerns they might have, such as medical or mental health, substance abuse. Um, one thing we find that's typical is a veteran might only be at Champica a short time, and we do a referral to one of the residential programs on site here at Montrose. Sometimes an alcohol or substance use issue is really contributing to the veteran's homelessness and preventing them from being able to, you know, take the positive steps forward. So we make a referral to our substance abuse domiciliary, which is a 45-day residential program. And for veterans that participate in that, if they are homeless, a lot of times we'll refer them to the domiciliary program I mentioned before. Once they get into the dom, um, they can be referred to a program like the one I oversee, HUD-VASH, and they can remain in the dom while we help them get their voucher and search for housing. At that point, they identify housing. You know, the HUD-VASH case manager helps get that veteran settled into the community and then connected with whatever, whatever follow-up outpatient services are necessary. All right. Well, I want to thank you all for your time putting this together. I'm, I'm sure our listeners enjoyed this exchange. And as always, we hope that we've conveyed some pieces of information that not everybody was uh, aware of. And that's our goal. I want to thank you to Paul Stoltz, manager of the homeless programs, and David Marshall, HUD-VASH coordinator at the Veterans Administration Hudson Valley, which is Castle Point and Montrose campuses, and for Robin Bell, who is the executive assistant to the director of the Hudson Valley uh, Veterans Administration Healthcare um, Organization, and she made this possible. Thanks a lot, folks. And that is a wrap for this edition of Let's Talk Vets. wish to acknowledge the following people and organizations made this show possible. John Crotty, Director of Sullivan County Veterans Service Agency, Monticello. Robin Bell, Executive Assistant to the Director, VA Hudson Valley Healthcare. Paul Stoltz, Manager, Homeless Programs. David Marshall, HUD-VASH Coordinator, and the Military Times. Thank you for joining us once again for Let's Talk Vets. Please let your friends know about this program and share it with uh, share our, your comments and suggestions with us for future shows. Also, send us your upcoming events so we may get them in the normal rotation for our public affairs announcements. And you can contact us at vets at wjff.org or the WJFF voice box at 845-431-6500. Till next time, I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your service. Company dismissed. Support comes from you and from the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York, riverreporter.com.
Support comes from you and from Wayne Memorial Hospital and Wayne Memorial Health System. More than 200 health care providers serving residents in Wayne, Pike, and eastern Lackawanna counties in Pennsylvania and the upper Delaware region of New York State. WMH.org. This is WJFF Jeffersonville and W233AH Monticello Community Radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. One minute to 8 o'clock here in Jeffersonville, 64 degrees and fair. Partly cloudy tonight with a low of 40 overnight and then mostly cloudy tomorrow with a high of 56. Showers likely tomorrow night, low 49 overnight and those showers continuing into Friday and Friday evening. Highs in the 60s Friday, low in the 40s overnight Friday night. Stay tuned right now for Neonatal Pulse with me, Brad Mann. All new music for the next two hours right here once again on WJFF 90.5.